Welcome to a special edition of the Bearded Carcast. This is episode 12 in season 5 with Dave Friedman. I am Mike Pacheco, and we welcome you to the fourth annual Bearded Carcast NCAA Extravaganza. Are you excited, Dave? This is your favorite time of the year. It's the best. I, I mean, as I was explaining or discussing with my wife the other day, I basically take off the entire week to look at brackets and play games with players and handicapped and just get amped up for the tournament. And I feel like I'm more busy when I'm not working than when I am working. <laughs> no, I totally get that. I totally get that. Well, let's let's dive right into the brackets because people don't want to hear me. They want to hear they want to hear your insight and uh, everything going on here. So let's start with maybe some of the controversies first before we dive into the brackets. You know, and obviously, you know, Michigan being slotted where they were is is a concern. Tennessee, a lot of people have had them as a two. Where do you where do you where do you fall on some of these uh, controversies to start the? Uh, I don't care time? about most of them. I don't think being a two versus being a three makes a huge amount of difference. I, I'm a little irked by. Uh, how Wisconsin can be seated ahead of Purdue. Yeah. I don't think that makes any sense. And I think Purdue is in a really, really difficult East bracket, whereas Wisconsin's in a much softer Midwest bracket. Sort of the same thing with Kentucky and Auburn. And I understand the argument. I just think Auburn ends up in a much better spot. Kentucky's the team I like better, but I think Auburn has has the better path. As for those bubble teams, I'm really, really high on the SEC. And if you believe, like I do, that the SEC and the Big 12 were considerably better than everyone yeah. else this year, then what are we doing with nine Big 10 teams and all of these glutta ACC teams and Texas A&M is left out? But again, if you can't play your way into a 68-team right. <laughs> bracket, you know, I, I don't know that you have that much to to get amped up at i think the the biggest issue with the bracket and with the seating is i think the east is absolutely loaded and, and therefore it's really difficult to to put great equity to get really pumped up about any individual team in there because there are a whole bunch that can come out and the Midwest is really, really soft. Kansas got the best draw of any team in the bracket. If you're going to pick a team to go to the Final Four, they are the most likely team to make it. I think they're a virtual lock to be in the Elite Eight. And that's not to say that San Diego State couldn't beat them because San Diego State's one of the best defensive teams in the country, and they'll tempo Kansas, and they'll try to win yeah. the game 53-51. But, but Kansas is the team that, if I'm a fan, I'm certainly making my hotel and flight plans for the Elite Eight and Sweet 16, and I might go ahead and make my plans in New Orleans too. Mm. So as we start this, uh, today's Tuesday, and uh, so we have the, um, the the first four obviously coming up. Uh, do we want to – I mean, th those are – where do you want to start with those? Do you want to kind of bang on the uh, – Yeah, we'll talk about them each really, really yeah. quickly. Texas Southern is coached by Johnny Jones who couldn't get LSU to the NCAA tournament with Ben Simmons, maybe the best player in the country. But assistant coach Randy Peel, who used to be at Winthrop, 
is there, and they're now in a play-in game for a second straight year. They play a ridiculous non-conference schedule against all sorts of guaranteed teams, and they always are playing their best down the stretch. They have more talent than Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi is well-coached. Texas Southern's probably the better team. The other game tonight is Wyoming and Indiana. I like the Mountain West a lot. Wyoming is a sinking ship. They, uh, they were really, really, really good in January, and February has not treated them well. Indiana, meanwhile, seems to be playing very good ball. I'm skeptical of Big Ten teams, but Indiana with Mike Woodson, who's got the NBA pedigree, plays more like an NBA team than they do kind of a, a slow-moving throw-it-into-the-post typical Big Ten team, and I think Indiana gets through there. I haven't done a great deal of research on Wright State and Bryant yet, Rutgers and Notre Dame are two teams that I am not really high on. Probably will be a competitive game. My gut feeling is that the Big Ten was better than the ACC this year and Rutgers. But of the four games, Indiana over Wyoming is the only one I have any sort of a strong feeling on. All right, so let's start in the uh, let's start in the West with the number one overall seed Gonzaga. Let's start with that bracket going on first. And you know Gonzaga is such a you know an interesting team. You know we've talked about this in the past, right? I mean, you know they're not. I mean, let's be honest, they're not a mid-major. I mean, they're they're in a mid-major conference, but you know they're a powerhouse. I mean, this is the second time in four years they've gone to the title game, led by Drew Timmy, averaging seventeen and a half points per game. Obviously. That's not where you're going to find a 116, and it's only happened once, but that's not where you're going to find a 116 um, upset. Yeah, probably not. I mean, Gonzaga is really, really good, whether the best team or they're the top two teams or whatever, but they're, they're, they're talented, they're deep, they can really score, they don't... They don't uh, force a ton of turnovers, which could be a concern at some point down the stretch. Now, a second-round game potentially against Boise State mm-hmm. is really interesting because Leon Rice's team holds opponents to you know, 60, 61 points a game, and Boise's really good on the glass, won the regular season and the postseason in the Mountain West. I think Boise's good. I think Boise would tempo Gonzaga. Boise-Memphis is a really interesting game because Memphis is very, very talented and they were weak out of the gate yeah. much better they kicked a couple guys off down the stretch i i like boise's system i think it'll be boise and gonzaga and, and while i think boise can hang with gonzaga i just think the zags have have too many players too deep too much offense but but that will be a fun second round game well remember memphis was interesting because penny hardaway had that uh that january uh, conference press conference where he kind of went. Uh, he didn't like the questions that were being asked, and right after that, they won ten out of their next eleven. Uh, that's going to be a fun game to watch, no doubt about that. All right, so in the West bracket, right, Duke uh, and Cal State Fullerton. You would assume that that's people like to look at that two fifteen upset. Is that a spot to look for an upset, or is is is, is that going to be chalk? Duke going on into the second round. I just don't think Cal State Fullerton's very good. The Big West this year was very, very balanced. There was no great team. I think Cal State Fullerton is bad at shooting threes. Usually you want to yeah. hit threes if you're an enormous underdog. I, I just don't think Cal State Fullerton's very good. How about, uh, so their next game would be the 7-10 matchup with Michigan State, which is kind of a down year for Tom Izzo, still in the tournament, but of course nine teams out of the Big Ten. And then locally here, uh, you know, Davidson, Bob, Bob and Killip, uh, is that is that a is that an upset for the the Wildcats? 
Very possibly. I mean, Davidson's not an enormous underdog in the game. Michigan State didn't have a great year. The Big Ten has really struggled in the NCAA tournament the last several years. Davidson is very, very viable. They don't turn the ball over. You know they're incredibly well coached. They can hit threes. Should be a terrific game. Okay, so let's stick on that side of the bracket for now. Texas Tech taking on Montana State. Now, we have, um, I wouldn't say a personal interest in this, but, of course, former Winthrop uh, guard Adonis Arms. I, I think last time I looked, he was like fifth or sixth on the team in scoring. But Texas Tech, you know, very good defensive team. Yeah, Texas Tech, uh, with all those transfers, including two from the Big yeah. South, Davion Warren from Hampton, yeah. Adonis Arms from Winthrop, Warren 9.9 points a game, third on the team, Arms 8.4 points a game. That's sixth on the team. They are outstanding defensively. They only give up 60 points a game. Opponents shoot under 39% against them. Opponents can't hit threes against them. Now, Texas Tech is really turnover prone, and sometimes they struggle offensively. And Montana State... They get to the line, so they kind of play big boy basketball at the small level. I mean, Texas Tech is probably just more athletic and too good for them, but it's not impossible that that could be an interesting game. And the winner of Rutgers-Notre Dame plays Alabama, and I like Alabama, and I understand that that Nate Oates' team has kind of been – all over the place this year, like radically inconsistent. But they're all analytics. They're modern basketball. They shoot threes. They send four to the offensive glass. They score 80 points a game. And I like Alabama. I think the way you find value in this tournament is those middle teams in the conferences that are really good. No one's talking about the Arkansas and the Alabamas and some of those SEC Big 12 middle-of-the-road teams. I think Alabama is oodles better than Rutgers and Notre Dame and Alabama Texas Tech is the type of game that it's going to be about a pick of maybe Texas Tech's a two or a three or a four point favorite I'm not convinced that Alabama is not better than them mm-hmm. I, I like the Crimson Tide so how about uh the number four and the number five games Four thirteen Arkansas and Vermont now Vermont obviously you know kind of a traditional pretty good traditional program is that a spot that people can look for an upset right there or is Arkansas just too strong Well, I like both teams a lot. I I mean, it's coming for John Becker. For Winthrop fans that remember the the team that that beat Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament, it was kind of like, we've gotten close, we've been there, it's our time. Now, Ryan Davis, Vermont's best player, is the two-time America East player of the year. Essentially, everyone else around him is transfer, so it's Mm. not exactly the same core that keeps coming close and not breaking through. But Vermont can score... And Arkansas, that, that's not what they do best. It could be a good matchup for the Catamounts. It should be a really, really good game. And, of course, you know, good coaching there in Connecticut uh, with um, Danny Hurley and, uh, you know, number 12, New Mexico State. What do you like in that one? Yeah, Danny Hurley Danny does Hurley, excuse me. a great job. But I also have a real soft spot for Chris Jans, the former oh, Greg yeah. Marshall assistant at Wichita State who had a job in the MAC and things off the court went awry and then kind of bounced back to New Mexico State. And they're always good, and they're, they are Greg Marshall basketball. They defend, they rebound, they're really, really tough. Uh, not an unbelievable shooting team. I think UConn's really good. I'm a huge Danny Hurley fan. Th- that's a game between two teams that I just like. I'm into. Like, I look forward. That's one of the three, four, five first-round games I'm most excited to watch. High on both UConn and New Mexico State.
here in the West bracket, kind of gone through all the first round matchups. What do you think of maybe possible upsets going um, into the Sweet 16 from that bracket? Well, I mean, I look at the bottom of the bracket, and I think Duke is vulnerable. I mean, if you're not a big ACC guy, and I just don't think the ACC had a very strong year, how can you look at Duke and be that excited? I mean, they they let teams stick around in games. They lost games to... You know, teams like Florida State that aren't even in the tournament. They barely beat, like, a Syracuse team who's not in the tournament. They, there's no question between Benchero and Moore and Keels and Williams. They, they've got they've really got guys, good right? players. I mean, they got five guys that are potentially lottery picks, right? Right. But if you haven't figured it out by now, why do we think you're going to now, like, flip that switch. Yeah. So, so, like, I respect Duke. They have outstanding players. They can absolutely go to the Final Four and win it. They have the players and they have the coach to do it. But we, we haven't seen it for four months consistently. You see a game in here, game there, or, or you see it for, for spots within games. But I, I'm not convinced. So, an Alabama, um, a team like that wouldn't surprise me if they could beat Duke. Davidson has an opportunity. I don't know if Davidson plays good enough defense, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, Michigan State, they, they could beat Duke. I mean, if you were to bet on it, you know, without a point spread, you would say that Duke's going to yeah. be in the Sweet 16. But can they lose before that? 100%. And if they play Alabama, I'm going to pick Alabama. I think Alabama has kind of probably had a similar year to Duke in the sense that, like, they haven't been overly consistent. But I think they've played a much, much better group of teams. And, and, and you know, if Duke plays their A game, they beat anybody in the country. They, they might have the most talent of anyone. We just so rarely see that. Well, okay, so moving on. Is there anything you want to say about the West before we move on? Um, no, I, I think okay. it's a it's a fun a fun region. I, I, surprises are out there, but Gonzaga's really good. So, you know, you can slice it a bunch of different ways. I mean, the analytics say that Gonzaga is the best team in the country by three, four, five, six points. I don't know that I believe that. I think Gonzaga is one of the best teams, maybe the best team in the country. I don't know that they're that much better than everyone else. I will tell you this, though. This old adage that they don't play anyone in conference, this was the best year the WCC has had yeah. in a long, long time. There's a reason that St. Mary's is whatever they are, a five seed, yep. and, and San, Francisco San Francisco is a ten seed, and BYU had a good year, and Santa Clara had a good year, and the way the WCC does their schedule – Gonzaga only plays the worst teams in the league once. They play everybody else twice. And obviously they play maybe the toughest non-conference schedule in the country. So they're very, very good. Can they be beaten? Absolutely. So moving on to the south bracket, um, you mentioned Gonzaga. Tommy Lloyd, the head coach at Arizona, was a head coach for Mark Few. This is a team, Dave, that's your big guy into Ken Palm. They're top 15 in offensive and defensive efficiency. It's an interesting team, obviously, with all the turmoil with Sean Miller and all that jazz, but uh, Tommy Lloyd's got Arizona as, as the number two overall seed in the tournament. Well, it's possible that Sean Miller was a good, not great coach, and, and I was getting towards that over the last few years. I mean, when you have one of the five best centers in the NBA yeah. and you lose to Buffalo in the first round of the tournament, and you didn't lose because, like, you... 
you, you got beat. Like Buffalo yeah. was better. They were better coached. They were better drilled. They had the better game plan. They won the game. Tommy Lloyd is not allowing you just to get beat. Like if if you beat him fair and square, you have better players, you have mm-hmm. a better scheme, so be it. Well, it hasn't happened a whole lot this year. Arizona only has three losses. They are deep. They can score. Outstanding passing. Great rebounding. Now they turn the ball over. They foul a little bit too much. I mean, we, we see that with a lot of good teams. They're going to be a tough out. That being said, the Pac-12 has not won a national championship since UCLA in the mid-90s. So everyone that talks about the nine Big Ten teams, they haven't won a national title since Michigan State in 2000. And and the Pac-12, it's been a long, long time. Can Arizona win? Yes, just like UCLA could have won last year or could win this year. But, you know, you look at those trends, it's been a long, long time. Arizona can win the whole thing. They certainly can come out of this bracket. The past 20, 30 years tell you they're probably not going to, but they, they've got the team to do it. There's no doubt about it. Now, Seton Hall, the next game is the 8-9 game with Seton Hall out of the Big East and TCU out of the Big 12. Seton Hall, if you like teams that are hot going into the tournament, they've won eight out of their last 10 games. And then TCU, obviously uh, a great coach, and you know a team that you know we saw a couple years ago, What's what? What are your thoughts on the, the uh, Seton Hall TCU game? I mean, I think Seton Hall comes out of a conference that was top heavy. I really like Villanova. I really like UConn and Providence, Providence is kind of yeah. like Wyoming. I think they were really good in January, and they're they're taking on water in, in February and fading pretty badly. I think Seton Hall was in that second group of Big East teams, and I think they were, you know okay, fine, respectable, deserving to be in the big dance, and not overly excited about them going deep. Can they beat TCU? Of course they can. But TCU has the same look of, you know, kind of like in Alabama. I think they played in a very, very difficult league. When you play in a very difficult league, you're going to lose games. Jamie Dixon, a big boy, you, great Mm -hmm. rebounding, great offensive rebounding. Now, they're not much of a three-point shooting team, and that can hurt both in the short term and in the long term. But I have much more confidence in Jamie Dixon and a Big 12 team than Kevin Willard and a Big East team. Number four, Illinois, um, one of those nine Big Ten teams taking on Chattanooga that won the Southern Conference on a buzzer beater, knocking out Furman. So Furman, once again, uh, does not win their conference tournament. What's What do you like in this matchup? Well, it's a really interesting matchup because Chattanooga has the one kid, David Jean-Baptiste, Baptiste, who hit the 35-footer yeah. yeah. at the buzzer to, to send the, the mocks to the tournament. And then essentially everyone else around him is transfers, including the incredibly highly regarded Silvio D'Souza. But Illinois, of the Big Ten teams, they're the one I like the best. And I understand that Chattanooga actually matches up pretty good with the big guy. Not a lot of teams can bang with him, and maybe Chattanooga has a chance. I thought Brad Underwood made the point that I've been thinking about for, for over a decade when his team lost in the Big Ten tournament. He said, last year... We played into the Big Ten championship game on Sunday. It went to overtime, and we weren't 100% come the NCAA tournament. Well, this year, they lost earlier in the bracket. They have more time to rest 
and rehabilitate and be ready, and I think they are going to be ready. And I think Illinois is, of the Big Ten teams, the one I like the best. And I don't know that they're going to blow out a Houston or a UAB in the second round because those are really good defensive teams and very capable opponents. But I think Illinois will beat Chattanooga. And they need to make sure that Kofi Cockburn stays on the floor. He sometimes can get into a little bit of foul trouble, and he, he did miss some games to injury during the year. So keeping him on the floor is going to big be a big key for them. And then you, you kind of just mentioned Houston and UAB. You know, Houston's another one of those teams. You know, were they? Do you think they were seated properly, or were they? Could they have gone a little bit higher? Well, I mean, Houston is great defensively because Kelvin Sampson's always yeah. great defensively, and. I thought Houston was a Final Four team in December. I, I watched them lose a game and was ecstatic because I thought that would create value on them. But then Marcus Sasser was lost for the year. Yeah. And I understand that they've continued to win without him, but offense is a struggle. He was the guy that took the ball and made a play with the shot clock winding down or at the end of the game. No Marcus Sasser, and you just have a Kelvin Sampson, tough-as-nails, defensive-minded team. UAB can beat them. Andy Kennedy's team can really, really score the ball, and they force turnovers. That's a terrific game. Either of them can beat Illinois. That'll be a great second-round game. All right, going a little bit out of sequence here, uh, just because of the local interest for us, which would be number 3 Tennessee and number 14 Longwood. Now, we, we saw Lantras twice this year. How do they match up against Tennessee? Well, I mean, no one matches up great against Tennessee. That being said, Rick Barnes' recent track record last decade in the tournament is atrocious. I mean, they, mm. they, he is rarely, I think, one time in the last 10 or 12 trips to the dance, advanced to the Sweet 16. Against the spread, he has been absolutely horrible. And this is a Tennessee team that I think everyone is so excited about because they were so good in the SEC tournament. That's fantastic. But this is a different tournament, and it's not that many days from the SEC tournament. And I wonder if Tennessee threw their toughest punch last week Mm. and not this coming week. Now, they're good. I mean, they, they competed in one of the toughest leagues in the country, and they were right there all year with the Auburns and the Kentuckys of the world. So I, I, I respect Tennessee. I think they're very good. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if they bow out because I'm not huge on teams that really shoot well, which really play their best in a conference tournament, get excited, celebrate, and then have to turn around and try to do it again in the NCAA tournament. And then the teams that they're going to face, uh, the six-seed Colorado State, number 11, Michigan. Michigan's going to take a bus to Indianapolis. A lot of flight problems hampering some of these teams. Colorado State, one of those teams. Nico Medved, you know, we saw him at Furman. We saw Colorado State uh, right before he got that job. They have a pretty good core group of four players. What, what, are you, what are you leaning to in this game? Well, it's always nice this time of year to have a guy, and both of these teams have a guy. David Roddy for Colorado State and Hunter Dickinson for Michigan are are guys you can depend on when it really, really counts. I don't have a really strong feeling in this game. I, I thought the Mountain West had a very good year. I like all three of those teams. Colorado State is the best offensively of that trio because Boise State and San Diego State are so defensive minded. Colorado State has been very consistently respectable and strong. 
I lean against Michigan just because I didn't think the Big Ten was great this year. The analytics think Michigan have a great chance to win this game. Sort of a toss-up. I'm leaning towards Colorado State. Interesting. All right, so let's take a look at uh, Ohio State. And they're going to play Loyola Chicago, so the 7-10 seed. Chris Holtman um, is the head coach for Ohio State. We saw him, of course, when he was the head coach at Gardner-Webb. And Loyola Chicago... They have uh, sister sister Jean. So what's 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 your thoughts on that one? She doesn't play though, obviously. So. Ohio State reminds me a lot of Michigan State. I can't mm. tell you how many times I watched them play this year and was underwhelmed. I mean, we know that Chris Holtman does a great job, and his team can really shoot the basketball. But they're not very good on the glass. They don't force any turnovers, and they are, you know, pretty good, solid, not great. If Loyola Chicago plays their game, Loyola Chicago can and very well may beat them. I think it's a 50-50 sort of game. I, I like the way Loyola throws the ball in the bucket from outside. They defend at a very, very high level. I, I think they're they're good. I think they're very good. I think it's a good game. Uh, the team that I'm really high on is uh, the, the second-ranked Villanova Wildcats. And, of course, you know, they did, you know with uh, Colin Gillespie back, He's uh, averaging 15, almost 16 points per game. But, you know, a, a bunch of that core that we saw last year against Winthrop is back this year. Yeah, they're obviously missing one key NBA guy out of that group. But aside from that, you're right. And obviously, Gillespie makes a huge difference. I mean, he is the heart and yeah. soul. And they don't turn the ball the over as much with him there. Right. I mean, for Villanova, to me, the, the question is never the way they play it's never the coaching it's never the x's and o's it's just do they reach a point where they're facing a team that's just more talented than them right. i mean villanova should beat delaware and i think they will beat loyola or ohio state if they play tennessee it's one of those where i really trust villanova's system that would be off of several days off i really trust jay wright Tennessee very well may have better players. That that would be a, a tremendous game. But I do like teams that are old in the NCAA tournament. Villanova is old. And I believe there are only three active college basketball coaches. Mike Krzyzewski's one of them, so he won't be around next year. And Rick Pitino's one of them. He's not in the dance this year. Jay Wright's the only other guy active in the country that's won multiple national championships. And how much of an edge is that? He's got a good team. He's a great coach. You know, you know, mentioned, you know, Tommy Lloyd. Is, is Villanova a team that could make it to the Final Four? No question. I mean, they, they, they've got a great system. And, and remember, we saw this when Winthrop played Villanova in last year's tournament. And, and you saw it throughout the Big East tournament this year. Villanova is going to play their game. Yeah. Which means if you're Arizona and, and you can really score, Villanova is going to limit the number of possessions in the game. They are going to tempo you for 40 minutes. And when it's all said and done, and it's 61-59 with two minutes to go in the game, which team is more comfortable making plays in the half court? Villanova, who's practiced it and done it for 10 years, or Arizona, who is suddenly quickly adjusting to it with a first-year coach? Again, Arizona might just flat out have more talent than Villanova, and that can win you the game. But Villanova is awfully comfortable in what they do. All right, final thoughts on the South before we move on to the Midwest. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a, a solid, strong bracket. If it is not Arizona, Illinois, 
or Villanova or Tennessee. If it's not one of those top four seeds that come out of it, I'll be surprised. I do think there is a gap between those four and everybody else. So this isn't one of those years where you think an 11 is going to poke through, at least in that bracket. In that bracket, I, I don't think so. I, I think I think the, the really cagey kind of upset plays are, are in the West and in the East. I mean, Alabama as a six can absolutely go to the Final Four. You know, a Davidson, given the right breaks, could could go to the Final Four. Uh, Vermont or Yukon or, or New Mexico State, they, they can go. The East is really hard, but Murray State is good enough. San Francisco is not impossible. Texas is talented enough. UCLA certainly did it last year. Even North Carolina, if they turned it yeah. on for four games, could get to the Final Four. In the South, I really think it'll be one of those top four seeds. All right, so let's start with Kansas. They're the third overall seed. They're the top seed in the Midwest. And our uh, local angle to this game is uh, our good friend Randy Peel, right, Texas Southern uh, and Texas A&M Commerce. Uh, so obviously that's that's not going to be where an upset's going to come. But they're going to um, gonna play the winner of San Diego State and Creighton. But let's start with Kansas. I mean, obviously – uh, very talented team. They, uh, you know, they had a stud coming back from last year, and that's really helped them. They're kind of also in that swirl of the NCAA, uh, the FBI investigation. Although it doesn't seem to really hamper them at all. Yeah, I, I just think they got the best draw. I mean, they're clearly one of the whatever you want to call it, three, four, five, six best teams in the country. How, wherever you want to tier it, they're one of them. I know there are some people that put Gonzaga in their own tier or Gonzaga and Arizona in their own tier. I, I, I don't believe that. I think Kansas is in that top three, top four, top five, whatever you want. And I think they so far and away got the best draw. I don't like Wisconsin at all as a three seed. I don't like Providence as all as a four seed. I don't like Iowa at all as a five seed. And while I sort of like LSU, I mean, with the coaching situation, it's a mess. I mean, I think it's Kansas or Auburn going to the final four out of this region. I think they're far and away the two best teams. And and quite honestly, I think Kansas is better than Auburn. I I, I just think they have better players and, and have had the better season. Now, if Bruce Pearl is there, It wouldn't surprise me. They have one of the top three picks in the draft in Jabari Smith. The problem with Auburn is they haven't won a road neutral game in a long time. So they they were unbelievable the first, whatever, two, two and a half months, three months of the year. And basically, since the start of February, they've taken care of business against a good schedule at home and not so much on the road and in neutral. Mm -hmm. So... I, I don't know where that leaves you with them. I, I just trust Kansas more than anyone else in this bracket. I think they have the best road to New Orleans. I think there's a very good chance they'll be in New Orleans. All right, San Diego State uh, as the eight, eleven and two since February six, taking on uh, a Creighton team that uh, you know has a, a brother, uh, Ryan Nemhard, who's Andrew Nemhard's brother from Gonzaga. He's out and he's their starting point guard. Yeah, I mean, Creighton was really good in the Big East tournament. Very, very impressive, and, and to some degree, out of nowhere. But they are a middle-of-the-road Big East team against a top-of-the-line Mountain West team. This game, what I think will be the second-round matchup, San Diego State and Kansas, is a little bit like that second-round matchup we talked about at Gonzaga and yeah. Boise State. San Diego State is all about defense. Brian Dutcher, since taking over... 
at, at San Diego State, and it's the same system that, that they've run forever there with Steve Fisher. It, it's all defense. It's tougher than nails. You know, they don't allow threes. They really don't allow shooting. 58 uh, points a game given up. They block shots. They swarm around, and, and they try to beat you by one or two or three every time. Creighton basically just faced that in the Big East Championship game against Villanova, and they hung around for a long time, and then Villanova beat them. So is is San Diego State as good as Villanova? Eh, probably not, but it's the exact same model. It's the same system. Creighton didn't win the first one. I don't think they're going to win this one either, but it, it's a toss-up game. I mean, it's, it's a good game. It's two solid teams. All right, so Iowa comes in next. They're taking on a Richmond team, so Richmond um, – won the Atlantic 10 and Iowa won the the Big 10 and since February 1st if you're a, if you're a big Brett Torvik guy he has them as the number 2 team behind Gonzaga Iowa that is uh in his analytics uh in that time frame what do you look what do you like in this game yeah, I don't like Iowa. I, I think they were a middle-of-the-road Big Ten team for most of the season, and I think that's what we're going to see in the tournament. Now, if the Big Ten has a great tournament, if it's not the same as we've seen for the last several years, well, heck, Iowa's more than capable. they got a dude that averages 24 points a game. Fran McCaffrey's a terrific coach. They passed the ball really well. They scored a very high level. Richmond, though, They'll tempo them. They'll play Princeton. They pass really well. They shoot well. I'm not saying Richmond's going to win the game, but they can win the game. I mean, they've been a team for two years that all the mid-major darlings have said, oh, look at this. They're really deep. They're really experienced. They play their system. They're the type of team in March that, that... win games. It wouldn't surprise me. That that would be an upset I would buy into. There are certain teams this time of year that people get really geeked up about. It often is the teams that play well in the conference tournaments. That's great if you didn't watch the other four months of the season. <laughs> I don't love teams that expend all of their energy and all of their deal to win the conference tournament. Iowa putting up a banner having won the Big Ten tournament, that is an unbelievable achievement for them. But there's bigger and better things to go. Uh, I'm not so sure that they didn't have their their day in the sun. Now, Richmond, kind of the same thing. They weren't mm-hmm. going to the tournament if they didn't win the A-10 tournament. But I, I, I like Richmond a little bit. I think they're very possible. Now, how about Providence? I mean, Ed Cooley, obviously born in Providence and really has kind of really done a terrific job at, at PC. However... Uh, you know, this isn't the sexiest team in America. You know, you don't, you're not going to see a bunch of NBA prospects or even five-star recruits, but they are just a gritty, maybe a little bit of a traditional Big South type team, or excuse well, me, Big, mean, uh, Big East type team. How many times have we had this discussion about teams that win close games? Yep. Is that luck that eventually is going to run out, or do you have guys that, like, make big plays at the big moment? I mean, you look at the NCAA uh, stats webpage from time to time, and I always note in my charts teams that win their play that are top 50 in something or bottom 50 in something. Providence is ranked here as a top 20 team. There's only one statistical category. There are 30 or 40 or 50 statistical categories that the NCAA ranks. There's only one of them that they're top 50 free throws. Yeah. Other than that, <laughs> yeah. they're really not that good at anything. Yeah. I, I mean, like, can they go to the Sweet yeah. 16? Can they go to the Final Four? Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't bet on it. 
Okay, so the uh, the six three matchup has number six LSU taking on number eleven Iowa State. Now LSU, obviously, I mean people, the the, the eyeballs on that game are going to be because Will Wade's not the coach anymore. Yeah, there, there's there's no question. I, LSU's a team I was very high on. I, I I like the way they play defense. I like how tough they are. The coach gets fired a week before the NCAA tournament, or less than a week before the NCAA tournament. Kevin Nickelberry takes over. He wasn't great at Hampton. He wasn't great at um, um, uh, uh, the Bison there in D.C. Howard. Howard. Wasn't great in either of those places. And now he's the head coach at LSU, the acting head coach. All of the players have to be asked, asked questions and discussing what happened with Will Wade and what their future is. I don't know. On one hand, everyone is off of LSU, and therefore I think you should get on them. On the other hand, they are going through an awful lot that has nothing to do with basketball, and they don't really have a coach leading them. They're a tough read. I think they are in the weakest section of the entire bracket. If you take any four-team sub-regional or any eight-team portion of the bracket, this is the easiest one. I do not like any of these teams here. Iowa State, no thank you. Wisconsin, no thank you. Colgate, I have very mild interest in. I think Matt Langell does a great job. He's in the Fran Dunphy coaching tree, having played at Penn. Th- these are teams I just don't really like. I I like what LSU has, but between the ears, I got no idea. That, yeah, that's going to be really hard. So then... The winner of that game takes on the winner of the 3-14 game. Wisconsin, again, one of those nine uh, Big Ten teams. Then Colgate, which is out of the Patriot League. Yeah, I'm anti-Big Ten and particularly anti-Wisconsin. I just don't think there's anything they do really, really well. And not turning the ball over is a good thing, but I would like to see a team that's really good at shooting Mm -hmm. or really, really good defensively. And I think Greg Gard's team is like solid in a ton of different ways, but I don't think they're great at anything. I I do like Matt Langell a lot. Colgate can really shoot the three. They're a very, very good passing team. Colgate can win. Will they win? I don't know, but they can. Two football schools next. Number seven, USC out of the Pac-12 and Miami out of the ACC. So two teams making it through from conferences that maybe had down years. Well, I don't know that the Pac-12 had a down year. Um, I mean, UCLA and Arizona are really, really good, and the rest of the conference, kind of a who knows. Of course, USC had a great season last year, as did Oregon State, who went to the Sweet 16 last year. USC obviously lost Mobley, who you know was a, a first-round pick and might be the rookie of the year in the NBA, but they've got his brother. It's not an unbelievable USC team, but you look at their record 26 and 7 and you have to understand they're one of those handful of major teams now using analytics and scheduling so they don't play like a crazy schedule but they play a competitive schedule most of their losses in league are to the best teams in the league they do have a win over ucla i think usc is fine good pretty good i think miami was kind of a run-of-the-mill mediocre acc team i like usc a little bit Okay, so now the the two fifteen there, Auburn, which we've talked a little bit about, and Jacksonville State. Yeah, I, I I think Auburn's pretty good. I mean, I think the SEC is is pretty stout. We we talked about Auburn on the road in neutral, though, 
eh, that's you know, it's a question mark. Your best player is a true freshman, but he he's you know he's going to be an NBA pick, maybe the number one pick in the NBA. Jabari Smith, I, Auburn's pretty good. Jacksonville State should not be slept on though. Ray Harper mm-hmm. wins big games. I mean, his his teams are are ready to go when it counts. Now, obviously, they backed their way in to the NCAA tournament when Bellerman wasn't eligible out of the A Sun. But, uh, I mean, Auburn probably wins. I, I think Jacksonville State will keep it close for a little while. But, I mean, Auburn's better. Okay, so any uh, any upset specials in the Midwest? I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I think Kansas is going to go to the Final Four. But, I mean, within there, I think Richmond can beat Iowa. I think South Dakota State can beat Providence. I think Colgate could beat Wisconsin. Iowa State could beat LSU. USC could beat Auburn. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, like I think there's a lot of stuff within there, but but I think Kansas is pretty clearly the best team in that bracket. Okay, so going over to the East, number one Baylor, the fourth of the number one seeds, and and for Big South followers, Adam Flagler, who uh, played at Presbyterian uh, in the eighteen nineteen season, averaging thirteen point four points per game under Scott Drew's team, and they'll uh, they'll start off against Norfolk State, winners of the MIAC. Yeah, I mean. I don't know what to do with Baylor. The big kid's out for the year. The point guard is hurt, but probably will yeah. play, if not the first weekend later. They, they certainly have guys. Um, I was very skeptical of Scott Drew for, for much mm-hmm. of his tenure, and, and he's won. And they won the national title last year. You know, of the number one seeds, they, they appear to be the most vulnerable. That, that doesn't mean they're not capable. They're very capable. And, and in the East which I think is the hardest bracket, I don't know that they have a crazy hard first or second round opponent. Now, North Carolina is talented enough to beat Baylor. We've just seen that talent on an inconsistent basis, and you don't know what you're going to get with a first-year head coach, and I don't think the ACC was very good this year. I mean, I think Baylor's going to be in the Sweet 16, but North Carolina can throw a punch and beat them. And what about number nine, Marquette? They'll take on the eighth-ranked Tar Heels. Shaka Smart in his first season at Marquette really did well in the transfer portal. Yeah, like I said before, I I really think UConn and Villanova were very good in that Big East. And and Providence, not as good down the stretch, but had a terrific season. And the Cradens and the Marquettes and the Seton Halls, I, I don't like them quite as much. All right, St. Mary's team we uh, we visited a couple years ago. Uh, of course, it's a different team, but uh, that big kid is is still there for St. Mary's, and they're going to be taking on the um, the winner of Indiana and Wyoming. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm in the bag for Randy, Randy Bennett. Yeah, no I, doubt. Randy no Bennett doubt. is about my favorite coach in the country, and it'll be interesting if they play Indiana because Indiana might have better players. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Trace Jackson Davis is better than St. Mary's. You look at St. Mary's players. Matthias Toss, the big European kid, unbelievably skilled, and he's put on weight, and he's a very good player. Tommy Cousy is a former walk-on who's the point guard, and, and then Logan Johnson who transferred yep. from Syracuse. Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. And they, they, they're they just like, those are good players, not great players. Indiana has at least one great player and a bunch of good players. And regardless, when they then have to play UCLA, UCLA just has better players mm-hmm. all over the floor. Again, Randy Bennett's going to muck it up. Randy Bennett's going to have a brilliant game plan. How many teams beat Gonzaga this year? Randy Bennett beat them. So, so like, I, I'm never going to be like, St. Mary's can't win. St. Mary's isn't going to win. But my suspicion is that 
St. Mary's isn't going to be in the second weekend because I think mm-hmm. this is the toughest bracket, and I think they wind up with two really difficult opponents. Well, then in the 4-13 game, you have a couple coaches who have taken multiple teams to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, Mick Cronin at uh, Cincinnati now with UCLA, the fourth-ranked Bruins. Good run last year as the 11th seed in the Final Four, and John Gross taking his third team to the NCAA tournament, third different school, I should say, to the NCAA tournament, and uh, first with the Zips. You know, I've got a, a, a friend, a college buddy, big-time basketball fan, and, and years ago we did these comparisons. We said, if you were a college basketball coach, who would you be? And he so clearly, and this was before they had won national championships, was Jay Wright. Yeah. Great-looking guy, <laughs> easy right. to communicate yeah. with, makes you feel like a part of the family, very confident in who he was. And it took me a long time to figure out who I was, and I ended up with Mick Cronin. Mm. You know, kind of no hair and blue collar, but really, really believe in what I do. Unbelievably passionate, kind of constantly fighting uphill. And Mick Cronin's now at UCLA, which just doesn't seem like it fits. But it does fit because they respect a guy who believes in his system, recruits to his system, and and does it in that manner. I I, I love UCLA. I mean, I grew up liking UCLA. Steve Lavin, who went to my high school, coached Mm -hmm. at UCLA. And and I have an affinity for the Bruins program. And and I I love Mick Cronin there. I think he's a great fit. I was so happy when Dan Guerrero hired him, and and I cheer for them. UCLA and St. Mary's will be almost an impossible game for me to watch. I can't wait for it, but I have a very difficult time cheering against those teams. Yeah. I'll cheer for St. Mary's because I don't believe in cheering for the big boy. But if, if UCLA wins that game, no, no problem. I'll happily get on the UCLA train going forward. Number three, Purdue fell short in the title game against uh, Iowa. And Iowa ended up being the five seed there, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. And then winners of the Ivy League, the uh, 14th seed, Yale. Yeah, I mean, Matt Painter does a great job. And Purdue had a really good season. And and Yale, I watched both of their games in the Ivy League tournament, and and I came away impressed. I I think they are pretty good defensively. Maybe give up uh, too many offensive rebounds, but I I think they're pretty good. I think Yale's pretty good. Do I think that they're going to beat Purdue? Probably not, but but not totally impossible. And and it'll be nice that that's in in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. They can get a nice kielbasa before the game. All right, so uh, Texas is the sixth seed in the East, and they're taking on the 11th seed, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech maybe was one of the last four in, could have been one of the last four up, but they won the ACC tournament. Mike Young, uh, great job at Wofford now, doing a terrific job at Virginia Tech. Chris Baird in his first season as head coach of the Longhorns has him as a sixth seed. This is everything I love about handicapping games. The world is so enamored with Virginia Tech because of their run in the tournament. Mike Young does a great job. It is impossible to cheer against Mike Young. But Texas played in the hardest league or the second hardest league this year, and Chris Beard looks at his team and goes, geez, guys, we lost 11 times. I think the ACC was really soft. I think Texas is really talented. Everyone is down on them because they they kept losing these tight games to good teams in conference. I think all of a sudden they look across the floor and they see a middling ACC team and they're licking their chops. I really like Texas. Okay, and uh, extending on the uh, on that side of the bracket, you have Murray State 
This is probably going to be another one of those games I think people are going to be uh, having a lot of fun picking this game. Number seven, Murray State, and number 10, San Francisco. Yeah, again, love both teams. Cheering for Tim Kane, who worked at Winthrop and went to Winthrop at Murray State. But I love Todd Golden and the analytics at, at San Francisco, too. Uh, gr- great game. I have no real analysis or prediction. I'm, I'm a fan of both teams. I think either team can give Kentucky a good game, but I am totally, totally enamored with this Kentucky team. I thought it was good that they lost a game in the SEC tournament. I thought in that game that they lost to Tennessee and everyone was, oh, so high and mighty in Tennessee. Oscar Tishway, the best player on Kentucky, was in foul trouble the whole game. Kellen Grady couldn't hit a shot. Well, you know, you take two of the three best players on the team, you put them on the bench, and one guy's struggling, (laughs) and all of a sudden Kentucky loses a tight game to a team that people think can win the national championship. I don't know that there's anyone in the bracket that is better than Kentucky. That's not to say that Kentucky is better than them, but, but I like the Wildcats a great deal. Now, I do think this is the toughest region. If you flipped Kentucky and Auburn mm. in the bracket mm-hmm. or Kentucky and Villanova in the bracket, I would stomp my foot and tell you they're in the Elite Eight mm. and they may win the national title. But in this bracket, Murray State and San Francisco are good. Purdue is good. Baylor's good. UCLA is good. I mean, it, it is a tough road through the East. I think Kentucky's the most talented team in the region. All right, what's is there? A, what, what's the upset in this bracket? You think, if there is one, um, Indiana can beat St. Mary's. There's a little question about that. North Carolina can beat yeah. Baylor. Uh, I mean, you get Murray State or San Francisco can beat Kentucky. That, there are really, really good lower seeds in that bracket. All right, so kind of recapping, or, or not recapping, but moving on here, where do you want to go next with this? Do you want to go Final Four, what your Final Four teams are? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I, I think we've given people kind of a general yeah. feeling on how I feel. If I were to fill out a bracket and pick a team to win the title, I'd pick Kansas. I think they have mm. the easiest road. And, and in order to win the national championship, you have to get there. The team that I'm probably most excited about that I like the best is Kentucky, but I think their road is really, really yeah. hard. And if one of the West Coast teams, Gonzaga or Arizona, were to win it, certainly wouldn't be surprising. They've been they've been doing it all year long. If you were going to pick like a, a five or lower seed, I, I'd pick one of those SEC teams, Arkansas, uh, or or Big Twelve teams, Texas. The, those five, six, seven seeds in, in those two really powerful leagues. Like my overall narrative is, I am skeptical of the Big Ten teams. I don't like the ACC teams. I very much like the SEC teams, and, and to a lesser degree, I like the Big Twelve teams. Interesting, interesting. So uh, Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga. Um, let me put it this way: I have a Jesuit Augustinian final. I have Gonzaga <laughs> and Villanova, with uh, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Villanova, and Kansas being my final four. Yeah, certainly could happen. It's always fun to uh, to look over the brackets. Now the bracket that did not go the way we were hoping to. And this is the Bearded Carcast. Yeah, let's do a reset. <laughs> With Mike Pacheco, I'm Dave Friedman. Please send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. Um, the, the podcast, the, the origin story is 
that we we drive to all these Winthrop games and we BS on our way. And some people occasionally have found these conversations to be interesting. So we started recording them several years ago, and we have a whole lot of fun with it. Well, this year's Big South tournament was eight minutes from my house in, in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So we weren't exactly on long rides to do podcasts during them. But uh, Winthrop kicked the living bejesus out of high point in the quarterfinals and they beat gardner webb in a good game that i thought winthrop played quite well in the semifinals and they got destroyed by longwood in the championship game there's just no other way around it the game was over i don't know 12 minutes in something like that winthrop looked a little bit uh kind of hesitant a little bit nervous early on and longwood stepped on their throat and as i have told people for a week and a half now I've seen Mike Krzyzewski lose big games. I've seen John Calipari lose big games. And Roy Williams has lost games. And John Wooden has lost games. Sometimes you don't play your A game. That, that's not a crime. The, the wonderful and the awful of a one-bid league is there's no margin for error. Yeah. The ACC tournament mattered this year because Virginia Tech may not have gotten in. But largely, yeah. the Big Ten tournament, the SEC tournament, the ACC tournament, Those teams are getting in. I mean, the biggest game in the WCC tournament this year was a quarterfinal between BYU and San Francisco. San Francisco won. They were in the tournament. Gonzaga and St. Mary's essentially played an exhibition for the championship because both teams were going to be in the dance. In a one-bid league, it's all or nothing. And while you and I have been very, very fortunate and Winthrop has been very fortunate to have good teams and to win championships— this year they didn't, and Longwood deserves to be in. Now, let's not celebrate Longwood in the sense that, like, oh, they were the best team in the league from the beginning to the end. I mean, they needed North Carolina A&T to miss two free throws with eight seconds to go in regulation of their Big South quarterfinal game to get to the championship game. Right. So, so, you know, Longwood played a great game, and it was a good day to do that, and Winthrop played a bad game, and, you know, Hopefully, this is a motivation. Obviously, it's sad for the kids that are not coming back, but uh, that, that's the nature of the beast. Nature of the beast. And, you know, that was a – they won twice, as you mentioned, you know, against Winthrop. And, you know, they were they, they were the better team. It's, you know, it's just – let's call it like it was. I mean, they were the better team on those particular days. days. The yeah. first one up there was Winthrop's fifth game in 10 days, and it was a four-point game. So that was a pretty tight game. The championship game, Longwood was better. They yeah. they played the better game that day. So they're going to be uh, they'll be uh, having an interesting game and an interesting experience. And of course, you know we always uh, enjoy that. And you know we'll follow them. And you know, of course, I think obviously we wanted Winthrop to win that game. But if there were uh, a team in the Big South, you know, one of the teams that we would would you know hope to um, show themselves well would be uh, Griff Aldrich. You know, um, in that Longwood team, because you know we we get along really well with that staff, and they've been great to us throughout the years. And you know, it's a good, look good local flavor for us because they're taking on a, a team regionally that's close by in Tennessee. Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be fun, it'll be fun to watch, and we certainly wish them the best. And more importantly, though, and, and I think we talked about this on the air during the championship game, 
Winthrop is so used to being yes. in the yeah. tournament and so used to winning championships, you forget what it means to everyone else. Yeah. This is Longwood's first, first ever trip. Did you yeah. see the number of people that were at the selection show? Oh, yeah, it was packed. Yeah. Right, and that was the and same thing at Gardner-Webb three or four years ago when they got to go for the first time. So it, it, it's really exciting for them, and, and hopefully they have a good experience, and you know, hopefully they, they play well and and yada, yada, yada. Well, and they also had, I think, which is interesting for them, um, they're also the first women's championship. And so they had a double, uh, you know, double selection Sunday show with the uh, with the women's team, too. So it was pretty exciting for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the selection show finished and immediately the college <laughs> basketball season, which, which couldn't wait 12 hours or 24 hours. Right. I mean, the, the college basketball season, yeah. you and I follow it closely from the beginning of November yeah. through February. And I love it. It's my favorite. Right. But the NFL is always a number one. And particularly when Tom Brady decides to open his mouth. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like three quarters of the way through 60 minutes, and all of a sudden, uh, my phone's going nuts, and it's you know Tom Brady coming back, and you know, I, I guess there was a, um, you could say there was a teaser throughout the day or earlier in the day because he was in at Man at Manu, and um, I think um, you know, I think he kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit there, but then the the full cat came out. At about seven fifteen or seven twenty Eastern time, maybe seven thirty Eastern time, uh, but it did. It it kind of stole a little bit of the shine off the NCAA tournament, which is, you know, kind of unfortunate. It, you know, he didn't want the original retirement announcement. Uh, he didn't like that that got out, uh, but it. Uh, I mean, it caught like wildfire after, after, uh, after it so, came out. So I'm interested though to get your perspective. You're a New England guy, and you're a Patriots fan. And you have continued to cheer for Brady since he's gotten to Tampa Bay. I don't know that every Patriots fan is like that. I think some of them ha have tired of Tom Brady. When you heard he was coming back, your first reaction was what? My, my instant gut reaction was like, oh, boy. You know, like, he just retired. I mean, and that was kind of a disaster, right? Because it, it got out, and he was on a vacation. He didn't want it to get out. He wanted to um, – and – Look, at, at 45 years old, I just think at what point, at what what point is is it going to end? Right, it's got to end sometime. Not to say that he, you know he could come back and they could be a playoff team and he could go to another Super Bowl. You know, just, that's that's completely realistic. Um, I just think people, and, and I'm not saying now I'm kind of moving on from me. I mean, for me, I just thought it was like, look, you know, you went out, you did, you went out, go out, you're like. This coming back. So stuff. you're tired of him, like the rest of the world. Well, I think it's just time to move on. Like, get on with the rest of your life. Like, you know, the the big joke going around today was like, wait, he spent like six weeks going to the carpool line and was like, nah, this ain't for me. I gotta go back and Makes play football. Makes complete sense to me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, but you know, but I, I think some of the reasons that he gave for now was the time to to give up football. Those things haven't changed. You well, know, spending more time with your kids. You know, do more. Th so, you know, it, it, I I just think you know what. In this day and age, um, you've made all the money in the world. You're probably one of the top ten most famous. He and his wife are both on this list, right? They're probably two of the top twenty most famous people in the world. They're completely loaded. They have generational wealth. Their their kids, grandkids, great 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 grandkids will probably be taken care of forever. Uh, enjoy retirement. 
happens to everybody. You can't be father time. Now, if there's one guy that can beat him, it's Tom Brady. But uh, I, for me, it's like, yeah, it's time to move on. Like, let, so let the organization, let the organ, like, let let the Buccaneers move on, and you get on with the rest of your life and do what it is that you know your second act. So you have cheered for Brady since he got to Tampa Bay, and I got no issue with that. He did unbelievable things for your favorite franchise. Are, are you off of him now, or will you continue to kind of hope that they do well? No, I mean, I think if you if you it's a little disingenuous. Like I can say I don't. I think he should have retired. But yeah, I mean, hope he. I still hope he does well. I mean, I don't want to see him flame out. So I mean, I'll, I'll still hope that he does well. And you know, I love Gronkowski. I like. I think it's a great pairing. So I'm not. I'm not at the point where. Uh, like I'm not. I'm not mad at him. I mean, you know, like I. I think if you were to like start to root against him, at this point, if you've been a fan for us for so long, then it's 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 about you and like you know it's, it's his life. He can do whatever he wants. So I hope he does well. I mean, I think he should have retired, but it's his life. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, I I feel like I've picked against him a hundred times <laughs> in the last two years, and mostly I've been proven wrong. So uh, I'm looking forward to being wrong a bunch more. But next you know year. something? But I feel like I am closer to where you were than I ever was. I mean, I will tell you this about him. It's incredible to me the level of football he's played at for yeah. the last couple of years. No doubt. Because he had a couple of years late in the New England yeah. tenure that, that I thought things were shaky. And, 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 you know, everyone would say, well, he doesn't have anything around him, yada, yada. And I kind of poo-pooed that. And all of a sudden he got good players around him. He started yeah. winning again. And, and Father Time apparently doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't know Tom Brady. So, Yeah. We'll we'll see because the NFL has to take over March Madness. Just fantastic that 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 and and, and baseball they they think they can take the take the excitement out of March Madness. Well, I mean it, it's it's I think good overall that that baseball is back, um, but I just don't understand. And, and, well, I, I do understand. I shouldn't say I don't. Understand. I understand why. I just I don't like that. It always has to come to these, you know, arbitrary deadlines. I mean, just figure it out before spring training starts. Like, wh- what's the difference between figuring it out in the middle of February? And maybe, and maybe, maybe baseball needed to move up their deadlines and say then, um, you know, middle of February, you know, put those arbitrary deadlines. Like, we're gonna miss games if we do it now. I know they have, maybe it was more. I don't know. Maybe the union wouldn't have fallen for it. You know, maybe I just don't understand why it, it took so long. But you know, it's back. I think it's. Um, I I think they got a lot of work to do. Um, this isn't as bad, obviously, as ninety four, ninety five. So I don't know, you know, how many people uh, are jumping off the baseball bandwagon. But I mean, they're, they've been shedding fans for years, and um, you know, I think it's good that they're going to start relatively on time. It's a week later, but they're going to get I, a full one sixty two. I'm, I'm interested to see over a two or three or a five year period how the rule changes take place. Nothing to do with collective bargaining. Like, like what are they going to do about making the product better, about the ball being in play more, about the game moving along quicker? That doesn't necessarily even mean the game has to be a two-and-a-half-hour or a three-hour game. I just want less dead time within the game. Well, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and um, and, and I, 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 at the time, you know, it, I don't know that we were really ta- saying the same thing necessarily, but I would say this. If if they are rigid in enforcing some of the time-saving measures, it'll definitely help. But if they don't enforce them, it's silly. You know, in other words, if if they have that stop, because I think um, I know AAA, they get their automatic umpires, and um, I, f- I can't remember if it's in low A ball or it's somewhere where they're actually going to have a hard count with stopwatches, and, and you got to, you know, 
you got to if it's twenty seconds, you got to pitch in twenty seconds. If it's fifteen seconds, you know, I forget which I one mean, it is. You need that. There, but it's got to be. It's got to be. You got to be. Uh, you got to be diligent about enforcing that. Yeah, two things need to happen. That needs to happen to quicken the game itself, and you need to do whatever it takes. Back up the fences, make the fences taller, deaden the ball to keep the ball in the yard so you see people running around. You you can't have strikeouts and home runs as the only action in the game. We need to see stolen bases. We need to see doubles and triples and the ball being tossed around in exciting plays yeah. because yep. y- you lose the excitement of the game. I, I don't know how anyone would want to watch that. But it's one thing where you got to either tweak the analytics or take some of the analytics, analytics out. No. No, you don't need to do anything with the analytics. You just need to back the fences up 50 feet so it's a lot harder to well, hit that, home but, that, but that's But that's a measure. In my mind, that's a measure of taking the analytics a little bit out of it because it, the, the philosophy is – you know, the Earl Weaver, you get more runs with a three-run homer than you do with a with a, a single. I mean, the NFL and the NBA constantly evolve. College basketball, move the three-point line back and widen the lane. Baseball just has to do something yeah. to help themselves. Right. Well, I totally agree. All right, anything else you want to get off your chest, or is that enough? That's it. Enjoy the madness. Enjoy the madness. Um, we'll be back at some point. I don't know if it's next week, three weeks from now, uh, October. <laughs> We're, uh, we're going to play it by ear. Uh, you can catch Dave on the Horse Racing Network, uh, generally on Thursdays and Fridays. Right, Dave? Yeah, usually. Not this plug. week. I'm off to yeah. watch basketball this of week. Of course. Well, that's that's obvious. Yeah. That's obvious. But you can listen to the Horse Racing Network in the afternoon. Uh, uh, it's at Friedman underscore Dave. If you want to uh, check out his times, I'm at Mike Pacheco 81 This is the Bearded Carcast at Bearded Carcast, and you can send us an email, bearded at outlook.com. Very uh, good. All right. Thanks, Cheeks. I'm going to get that up shortly. Beautiful. Just edit.